A class is the memory of Jared Orchen. And today we're going to learn a little bit about Rebbe, but it's more about the importance of saving a Jewish child to learn Torah. We learned a little bit last time, we mentioned this, but here is more in details. But it's about Rebbe, Rabbi Yudah, the prince, how he was involved in these things. We are in the first column on the left side, the middle paragraph, the Gemara continues. This is a story about Rebbe coming to meet. It was, you know, we all know about Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was the, I'm sorry, was the author of the Zohar. The, the Zohar is the Bible of the Kabbalah. He lived 2,000 years ago, around. And he was the famous story about him that he was hiding in a cave for 12 years. He was once making a comment against the Romans, and the Romans heard about it and said that they wanted, they wanted to execute him. And he ran away, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, and his son Rabbi Elazar, his son Elazar, and they were both hiding in a cave for 12 years. 12 years. After 12 years, the Roman emperor died. And they came out, they were so holy that they couldn't understand why, how people go around their daily life. They go to a restaurant, they go shopping, they go to movies, what's going on? Nobody's learning Torah. Then, they, they got, when any person they got upset with died. God said, there the voice from heaven coming out says, you came out to destroy my world, go back to the cave. They went back to the cave for another year, and they recalculated, like the, like the GPS recalculates, the old GPS, now they don't even tell you they recalculate. Then they recalculated, and they realized that not every, everybody can live a lifestyle like that. Fine. That they came out and they started to cure things. That Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, he lived and he passed away. And then Rabbi Lozor, his son, passed away and he was buried in the same cave of his father in Miron. Here we're talking about a story about the son of Rabbi Elozor. He's the grandson of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Rabbi once arrived to a city where Rabbi Loza, of the son of Rabbi Shimon, lived, and he asked the question, is this rabbi has a son? What's going on with him? Let's read from inside. Rabbi traveled, Rabbi traveled. Rabbi traveled to the locale of rabbi, rabbi Elazar, the son of Rabbi Shimon, after his death. Rabbi asked the residents, does the righteous man have a son? Does the righteous man, also it's tzaddik, this tzaddik has a son? What they told they him? told him he has a son, and every harlot who has, is hired for two hires him for eight. You hear what's going on here? He was so handsome that the most expensive harlot is to run after him and pay him. <laughs> the son of Abelaza. I mean, there's no surprise that the son of such a tzaddik will, will, will look not like a regular person, he will have an amazing appearance. Now we say it wasn't just this physical side, it was something about them that attracted everybody. Then they told him, he asked, what's going on with his son? And what he did? Rabbi brought him, ordained him as a rabbi, and entrusted him to Rabbi Shimon ben Ishben Laconia. Rabbi took him, took him under his wings, and told him, I'll make you a rabbi. And he ordained him as a rabbi, 
But in the ordinary of the rabbi is not enough. You have to entrust him to somebody who will teach him to, to be a mensch. The, and bro he, and the brother of his mother, in order to teach him to The brother of his mother, he gave him to his uncle to teach him to be a rabbi. Why he gave him to his uncle? Because the Talmud says that boys look like the brothers of the mother. That's what the Talmud says. If you want to know, get married. Before you get married, check. That's the Talmud says, check the, the brothers of your bride. Because you boys will look just like them. If you look just like them, that if you want to know how it's going to look like, you better look around. Don't complain later. <laughs> then, then, uh, then he said you, and he basically told them, "He's just like you. You know how to deal with them. You make him a match." The uncle, the brother of the mother. Every okay. day, the son would say, "I want to go home to my city rather than stay here and study Torah." One day, Rabbi Shimon Ben. This she said to him, they want to make you into a sage and spread a gold garment upon you and call you rabbi. Yet you say, I want to go home to my city. He told me, I want to make you into a rabbi, make you an important person. You want to go to your city to do what? Go ahead. The son said to him, I swear this matter is hereby abandoned. I he eat. says, I will not request to go again. He says, I'll never say it again. And he, and he once told him, what, what are you doing? Don't you realize what Rebbe wants to do for you? He wants to save you. And you want to go back to your city? He says, okay, now he got it. For some reason, he got it suddenly. Okay. When he, grew, when he grew up, he came and sat in Rebbe's academy. Rebbe heard his voice and remarked, this voice is similar to the voice of Rabbi Elazar, uh, the son of Rabbi Shimon. Uh, they told Rebbe, this is his son. See what happened? It was, it was maybe for a year or two, whatever the time took, to teach him, to train him, to be a rabbi. And then he, eventually when he grew up and he became a mensch, he joined the academy, the yeshiva of Rebbe. Suddenly Rebbe hears a voice, he says, oh, yeah, the son, I remember this voice from somewhere, it's Rabbi Lozo's voice. He had, like, he, had, he had the same voice as his father. That he said, they told him, yeah, that's his son. Go ahead, Amul, yeah, they, they told, Rebbe told, go ahead. Rebbe replied this verse to him, uh, the fruit of the righteous man is a tree of life, and he who acquires souls is wise. The fruit of a righteous man is a tree of life. This is Rabbi Yossi, the son of Rabbi Elazar, the son of Rabbi Shimon. Mm -hmm. And he who acquires souls is wise. This is Rabbi Shimon ben Isi, ben Laconia. When Rabbi Yossi, the son of Rabbi Elazar, passed and he away. Says, basically, he says, the, the pills, there is something great about the foot of the tzaddik, that his grandson, that he continues the tradition. And there is something great about his uncle, who made it, who saved his soul, who brought him back to Judaism, to become such a great rabbi. And then what happened? Rabbi Elazar passed away. They brought him to his No, no, father. not Rabbi Lazar. When Rabbi Yossi... Rabbi Yossi, the son of Rabbi Elazar, passed away. This young man eventually passed away. They brought him to his father's burial cave. A serpent was encircling the cave. A serpent was encircling his cave. Basically, a serpent is not allowed to let them, not allow them in, into the cave of his father and his grandfather. 
Yeah, 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 all nice and fine. And I'd welcome it. Continue. They said to it, Who is they? I'm not sure. Serpent, serpent, open your mouth, and let a son enter to his father. The serpent, however, did not open for them, and they had to bury him elsewhere. They, they buried him, they couldn't bury him at the, at, the, at the gravesite of his father. Usually in the olden days, it was all about caves, family caves. Every family had a cave, and people wanted to be buried in this <coughs> cave. There is even an interesting law that, Jewish, that in the Talmud, the discussion about a person wants to be buried in his family cave standing better than in another place lying. Because he wants to be in his family cave. It That's doesn't matter how? Today everybody is, is, but there is such a, such a discussion in the olden days. It was when there was a really? style was being buried in, in caves. Yeah, then but it can be standing and sitting. It used to be, not today, no. We don't bury anybody standing. Okay. But uh, what I mean to say, that's how important it was to be buried in a family cave. Then he was not allowed. Go ahead. The people thought to explain this by saying that this one, Rabbi Eliezer, the son of Rabbi Shimon, was greater than that one. Rabbi Yossi, his son, for Rabbi Eliezer, the son of Rabbi Shimon, was allowed burial in the cave with Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechoi, his father, whereas his son was not. Yeah, the, the, what did the world said? Ah, Rabbi Yossi is not like his father. His father was allowed into his grandfather's cave, but the, the grandson was not allowed. Obviously, he's not as great as his father. Maybe he was not as righteous as his father. That's what they said about him. Then what? Go a, ahead. Voice, a voice emanated from heaven and said, It is not because this one is greater than that one. Rather, this one, Revaliezer, the son of Reva Shimon, endured the discomfort of the cave during his lifetime, whereas this one, his son, did not endure the discomfort of the Let's cave. stop right here says something very interesting. It's not that Rabbi Yossi was not as scholarly or as righteous as his father. But his father, Elazar, suffered in his life. He was in the cave for 13 years. He paid dearly. That's a whole different level. Tsara Mehara. It was the suffering of the cave. You know, the Talmud describes in another place about the cave, they were they had only one set of clothing. They ran away from the government, right? They didn't know how long they're going to be there. They, they started, they wanted to keep their clothing, shouldn't fall apart, it used to be very, then they used to take off the clothing, dig two holes, they used to sit a whole day in the holes and learning Torah without clothing. And only guy get, getting out, putting on the clothing for prayers and putting, taking this off. Then sitting in the dirt, in the, in the earth for so long, their whole skin became dry and full of cuts. Then when they finally came out from the cave, every drop of water was like terrible for them. And they needed to go to the interiors. They have this, uh, the, springs. the springs, right? What is it called? The, the springs of Tveria. Springs. And they used to go there and to cure them. It took years to cure them. It took a long time to cure them. Then this, they, and they were, what they, how they survived in the cave, they ate cherubs, a cherub tree. Carob. A cherub tree, I'm sorry, a cherub tree. And, and they drink water, that's how they survived. And the Talmud says, you cannot be in the same party. He suffered. Abishim Yochai and Rabbi suffered. 
It's all nice and fine. You know, there is... My father was in Russia, in, Russia, in jail, suffered his life. Now we are coming, we want to be... We're not coming to the same party, hey. <laughs> These people paid dearly for the Judaism. It's a whole different level. Yeah, you might do, you other people in America and in Israel doing many mitzvahs and they are very nice and very fine, but it's a different level. Mm-hmm. That's what the, it's a voice from heaven came and said. It's not because he was less righteous, but he did not have to suffer for Judaism. He didn't pay for it. And when you suffer, you're on a different level. And then, you know, I saw, I saw it. I mean, my father and other people used to sit in the same table in the synagogue. Somebody who gave his life for Judaism is on a different level. You cannot compare him to anybody else. But that's the story with Rabbi Lo- That's one person that Rabbi saved from, be- from being so bad because he basically did a favor to his father. His father was a friend with Rabbi. His grandfather was almost a teacher of Rabbi. I think a teacher of one of the teachers of Rabbi. He went to, he went to look for the grandson. Could be it was after the funeral, could be he came and he says, is there a child there? Is Rabbi Loza a child? What's going on here? Where is, where is the continuation? And they told him. And he saved them. He did a huge favor to his father and his grandfather. The Gemara records a related narrative. Rabbi traveled to Rabbi Tarfan's locale after his death. Rabbi the same story. Rabbi traveled to Rabbi Tarfan's locale, to his city after the death to see what's going on there. Go ahead. Rebbe asked the residents, does that righteous man who was in the habit of cutting down his children whenever he took an oath have a son? You know, Rabbi Tarfon used to say, if, he's, if I'm wrong, my ch- his children should be, like he used to, he said my children should be called out, something that be caused. If I'm wrong, he used to take a note about something, and used to put it every time on his children. Even that he never said a, a wrong oath, he never said something not true, still the, the, the style was a wrong style. Mm-hmm. He says, what is happening to the, to the guy who constantly put down his children? <laughs> so he said, does he have a son? They told them. The residents told Rebbe, he has no son, but he has a son from his daughter. A grandson. And every harlot who is hired for two hires him for eight. Another, another happy guy. <laughs> they, Go ahead. They brought Rabbi Tarfan's grandson in front of Rebbe. Rebbe said to him, if you repent, I will give you my daughter. You hear him? Rebbe tells them to a guy who is running around like this, he tells them, if you repent, I'll give you my daughter. Unbelievable. Go ahead. He repented. He repented. Now, if you heard such a thing, such an offer, you cannot, you can, you, you cannot uh, deny. Go ahead. As to what happens afterwards, some say that he mar- married her and subsequently divorced her, and some say that he did not marry her at all. So that people should not say it is only because of this woman that this man repented. He said that some people said that when he repented, he didn't, he didn't do it. After he repented, he realized that that was not the right reason to repent. And he didn't marry his daughter. People shouldn't say that that's the only reason why he did it. Who in the Talmud is a similar story? That repented because of marrying somebody? Kiro? No. 
Akiva, actually, it's a good example. Yeah, Akiva, in a repented book, became a scholar. Is Rachel told him, if, he, if I will marry you, will you go to learn Torah? And he said yes. Beside them. Was that mayor? Not I know, maybe. Rabbi, Rabbi Yochanan and Rish Lakesh. Story about two kids who went to school together. And Rabbi Yochanan continued to be a rabbi. And Rish Lakesh, yeah, I think he became an orphan and he ran away from the yeshiva and he became a gladiator. And many years later, Rabbi Yochanan was bathing in the water of the Jordan, I think. And suddenly Rish Lakesh came from some mission, important mission also to bathe, and he saw his friend from many years ago. He jumped over the river, and he landed next to him. Rabbi Yochanan utilized the second, the opportunity. It's all about utilizing the right opportunity. And he told them, Chilach leoraita. Leonardo is lucky with the sons. Then Rabbi saved both of them. The Gemara is now asking inquires. Go ahead. Um, the more inquires, but why did Rebbe go to such lengths to help other people's children? What is business? Why went? Why bother to go to the children? What, what is this? To look for a child of a rabbi and to to promise him his daughter, or just he should go back to Judaism? The Gemara answers. For Rav Yehuda said in the name of Rav, and some say Rabbi Chia, the son of Abba, said in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, and some say Rabbi Shmuel, the son of Nachmani, said in the name of Rabbi Yonasan, whoever teaches his fellow son Torah merits and sits in the academy on high. Okay. The reason why he did it, because if you go and you find a child that's not your child, that was lost a little bit, and you teach him Torah, you will sit in the academy and I, when after life you're sitting in there, really shiver there upstairs. Okay, so by God. So teachers get a nice spot, huh? Uh, if they do the right thing, yeah. <laughs> if you, Israel, will return, then God has promised me the following. I will return you to me. You shall stand before me. Basically, it's all about in Judaism, as he spoke many, many times, it's measure for measure. You bring another Jew to the Yerushiva, God will bring you to his Yerushiva. Simple. It's not so complicated. God says, <clears throat> there is a Hasidic saying, do a favor to another Jew, God will do you a favor. Love another Jew, God will love you. Smile to another Jew, God will smile to you. Simple. It's so simple, it's not even complicated. It's, it's, it, can, it can teach it a child who is three years old. Everybody understands it. That's what he said, he said, the Gemara says there. If you want to have the academy in the above, you want to have a good seat in the academy, you make sure somebody else is sitting in your academy. Okay. Then the Gemara continues, even more. And whoever teaches the son of an ignoramus Torah merits that, even if the Holy One, blessed is he, decrees an evil decree, the Holy One will cancel it on his account. You hear? Somebody who finds a child, not of a scholar, of a lost Jewish child that nobody cares for them, who doesn't go to Hebrew school, and he takes him to Hebrew school, you know what happens? Even God makes a decree he has the power, the person has the power to nullify the decree. He can override God's bad decrees. Why? As the text says, And if you extract the precious from the base, you will be as my mouth. 
If you extract the precious, the precious means a Jewish child, from the base, you will be as my mouth. Your mouth becomes like God's mouth. The power of the tzaddikim to give blessings, the big part comes from this. You know, I can imagine in a person like the Rebbe, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of Jewish people learn Torah because of them. The power that, that such a tzaddik has. It's unlimited. And this is from one, one child. When you pray, you save one Jewish child. That every one of us, you bring just one child to Hebrew school. Don't take so much. Or whatever, you make it, bring a child, an adult. It doesn't have to be a child necessarily. A child in learning, a child in, a, in Jewish education is still a child. You bring a Jew closer to Yiddishkeit, you invite them to your Friday night dinner. You invite them to, to shul, you invite them to a class, you influence them to light candles, to do a mitzvah. You bring them closer to Yiddishkeit, you get unbelievable power by God. God says, you are my, you are my team. Whatever you say goes. Not bad, huh? Okay. Having described the establishment of a third generation of Torah scholarship in Rabbi Shimon's family, the Gemara now cites a related teaching. Then what happened is Rabbi Shimon Bayochai was a scholar. His son Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Lazar was a scholar too. Then Rabbi went and made sure that the grandson should be a scholar too. Three generations. Amazing. The Talmud says something very, very interesting about it. Rapanach, go ahead. Set. Rabbi Bernick said in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, if someone is a Torah scholar and his son is a Torah scholar and his son's son is a Torah scholar, the Torah will not cease from his offspring forever. Oh, that's a very amazing promise. If a person is a Torah scholar, any son, any grandson, you see, human beings have something unique. There was a rabbi in, in a yeshiva in Israel. Whenever somebody came and told him I became a grandfather, he used to tell him, now you join the club of human beings. See, to be, to be a parent, animals also are a parent of children. Dogs take care of their children. Animals, any type of animal. But you ever saw a lion takes a walk with his grandson? There is no relationship between grandparents and grandchildren in the animal world. This is unique to human beings. That's a unique thing for human beings. Now, there was Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, he says in the 70s, when he became the chief rabbi of England, he wanted to turn things around. That he wrote a book, and the title was, Will Our Grandchildren Be Jewish? Something like this. And he said he started a whole new conversation. Because everybody said, oh, yeah, I'll take show my shoe, my children. No, 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 my grandchildren. Then what he says here is the same thing, that when three generations, then God says it's forever. And it's based on a verse in the Bible. What's the verse in the Bible? As it says, And as for me, this is my government, <clears throat> etc. with them, said Hashem, my spirit that is upon you and my words that I have placed in your mouth shall not be withdrawn from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your offspring, nor from the mouth of your offspring, offspring, said Hashem from this moment and forever. <clears throat> there is a, the verse says like this, God says that the, the, the words of my, my word should not remove, should not, shall not be 
withdrawn from, from your mouth, from your children's mouth, from your grandchildren's mouth. From now and forever, says Hashem. Then the Talmud says, what does it mean, the phrase said Hashem indicates? Go ahead. It means this. The Holy One, blessed is He, said, I am a guarantor for you in this matter. What does from this moment and forever mean? Rabbi Yemiryas said, from here on, the Torah naturally comes around to its home. It means to say, if, you, if, if we make sure three generations, God said, the rest of it is, up, is on me. I give a guarantee. But we have to make sure there's three generations. Well, that's a continuation to the idea that Rabbi went to, to great length to make sure that the third generation of Rabbi Shimon, by the way, it's a big comforting point. Even Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, his grandson, was not such a Choshev Rabbi in the beginning, right? He was lucky that Rabbi made a special effort, and, uh, but there is only a limit. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. The Gemara presents a related in the, uh, incident. Rav Yosef underwent 40 fasts so that Torah knowledge would remain in his family. He was fasting 40 days, not in one shot, but he had 40 fast days, praying that his Torah, the Torah should remain in his family. Okay. And in a dream they, having read this part of the verse to him, my word shall not be withdrawn from your mouth. After 40 days of fasting, he heard in the dream, the, this beginning of the verse, the Torah will not be withdrawn from your mouth. That's it, not more. Continue. He underwent 40 more fasting, and they read the next part, the verse to him as well. My word shall not be withdrawn from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your offspring. After another 40 days, he got another promise. Your children. <laughs> By the way, he had a dream. And they read? Oh, that the dream, dream, in the dream, it was read to him. Means to say, we spoke before, before about, you see how we get a, a reward from God? You have to pay, there's no nothing, no free lunches, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the, the suffering of the, of the cave, and you pay, there is no free, uh, you have to, he gave him, gave him, they promised him with children. Continue. He underwent hundreds, Another. a hundred more fast, and he, and he came, and they read the whole verse to him. My word shall not be withdrawn from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your offspring, nor from the mouth of your offspring's offspring. When he fasted another hundred fast day, and obviously fasting is not just fasting and laying in bed. It's praying, it's learning Torah, it's the whole, the whole, the whole package. Then he got the full verse, from you, from your children, from your grandchildren. Then what he said, Rav Yosef said, Joseph said, from here on I do not need to do anything more. The Torah naturally comes, comes around to its home. That's written that a person cares for his children, for his grandchildren, for his great grandchildren. He says, you know what? I did my part. I'm tired. How many more fast should he fast? Another, more, another two years? I mean, there's not been no end to it. 180. <laughs> he says, because of the same concept, that the Torah, after three generations, if you're, if, if, if you're guaranteed for three generations, the rest will go by itself. Rabbi Zuri went up to... Now the Gemara relates a different story of somebody who was fasting for different reasons. 
Rab Zeire went up to, to Eretz Yisrael. Rab Zeire came from Babylon to Eretz Yisrael, to Israel. He, Go ahead. He underwent hundreds of fasts so that the Babylonian Gemara should not forget, be forgotten Should by be him. forgotten by him. Should be forgotten. In See, order he learned, he learned, he, okay, continue, I'm sorry. In order? Okay. In order that it should not distract him when he would learn Gemara of Eretz Israel. Israel. There is something very interesting here. There is the Babylonian Talmud and the Jerusalem Talmud. Now, what does this mean? He fasted to pray, to forget what he learned. What? You're not allowed. The Mishnah says if somebody forgets, tries to forget what he learned, deserves that. What do you mean for you try to, try to forget what he learned? He didn't try to forget what he learned. No, absolutely not. But there were different styles of learning. You know, it came out now, a whole article about Amazon, of the Audi tree, the workers. Yeah. I read it this morning, something very interesting. They tell the workers to disagree with each other's uh, agendas mm -hmm. and not to be afraid to knock the other person's ideas. Don't be polite, basically. If you think it's, it's stupid, go for it all the way. Argue that. Really, that's the Babylonian style of learning, Talmudic style of learning. That's what they learn now in yeshivas they learn. The joy is to prove you that you speak nonsense. That's the joy, <laughs> to an extreme, I must say. But that's what creates creativity. You say, yeah, oh, it's so nice. No, I, I just, not long ago, I met, I, I met a doctor that he was trained in Israel, now he, an Israeli, then he came to America. He said, the culture is so different in Israel. If you say a nonsense in a meeting of doctors, say something nonsense, the expression comes out of the mouth. He says, you should not, you have nothing between here and here, it's just empty. That you can tell a doctor, you can say in front of 20 doctors to a young doctor. He says, here in America, it's like, you know, maybe you should reconsider the idea another time. <laughs> it's all. <laughs> The Babylonian style of learning, that's what, I'm, is that I, that's what <coughs> caught my attention in the Amazon thing. I know the other things are mean and bad, but the idea is if you want to really get to the bottom of it, why Israel is a startup nation? Because that's the Jewish way of thinking. We're not afraid to say that we disagree. I mean, we're actually enjoying to say that we disagree with each other. That's why we live. We thrive on it. Then the Babylonian style of learning was this style. The Israeli style of learning was more straight. Not everything questions and no Leave me alone, we're saying no law. The, the Jerusalem Talmud is written more as laws, clear laws. Not so many arguments and questions and answers and proofs. The Babylonian Talmud is almost like a lawyer in, 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 in a court case. When he wants to prove something, he starts with a, he asks you a question that looks completely not related. Then he takes you to the second question, to the third question, to the fourth question. Then he leads you all the way and he says, aha, that you say that this is this. That's how it goes in the Talmud. They start, they want to bring a proof to something that looks like something, you bring a proof from something that has no relation. After they prove, after when they finish the point, they prove the point. Then Rabbi Zeire, to be, he came to Israel, he started to argue with everybody. They looked at him like, <laughs> we are in America now, we're not in uh, Israel, we're not fighting here. We are normal human beings, we are not, we are polite. But he had to learn a different style of learning. Not that he, for, he wanted to forget what he learned, the style of learning he wanted to forget. And he was fasting a hundred fast days for this. Go ahead. So that 
Rebelezer should not pass away in his years. Then he fasted another hundred fast that Rebelezer should not uh, pass away in his years. Why? So that the fire of Gehenna would. No, 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 no. And, and cause one line before that. Running. Just oh, one line before that. Caused the communal matters to fall upon his shoulders. He said if Rabbi Lozer dies, he becomes the rabbi, the chief rabbi. And he will be busy with every, everything. He will not have time to learn Torah. That he prayed to God that Rabbi Lozer should be alive, he shouldn't have to be the chief rabbi. Because he will not have time to learn Torah. That's another hundred fast. I want to tell you, in the time of the Talmud, fasting was a very common behavior. People were very, very strong. And the fast days did not affect them to a point that they couldn't learn Torah, let's say. Today, if you fast, a day that you fast, you're grumpy, you're not nice to your wife, you cannot concentrate, you cannot learn, you're not productive, it's just a waste of time. It's a crime to fast, and then you're hurting your body. Then the Hasidic movement came and changed the whole thing. In the time it's written, and fasting was a good day in the time of the Talmudic rabbis, and they were strong, and it helped them with a spiritual journey. Today, when it's affecting your spiritual journey, you, can, you daven less, you concentrate less, you're learning less, you're doing less mitzvahs, you, you, you mean it to other people, you're not allowed to fast. And the Rebbe was very big, uh, very, was very strong about that. Even he, the Rebbe himself fasted a lot, but he didn't allow anybody else to fast. Hmm. Is this the same? He fasted so much that there is letters from his wife to the Rebbe's father to tell him to stop fasting. And his father is writing him letters, don't fast anymore. It's not allowed to in this and this, but it doesn't look like it helped a lot. But he was fasting, but he didn't allow anybody else to fast. Because he said that the job is now to serve God with your body. Not fighting your body. Take your body, put him to walk, put him to service. Don't fight it. And when the Rebbe is to see somebody who is very skinny, the Rebbe is to say, are you living before the Tanya was written? <laughs> Where are you coming from? <laughs> What's going on here? Go home and start to take care of yourself. He didn't allow these things to, to be around him. Is this the same Rabbi allows a letter as the one that we talked about? Could be. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Oh. Well, I cannot promise you, but could be. And then he underwent another hundred fast. Go ahead, so, so that the fire of Gehenna would have no effect on him. Mm -hmm. Every 30 days, Reb Zerl would check himself as follows. He fired up the oven and then went out and sat inside of it. <laughs> Yet the fire would have no effect on him. One day as he was doing this, the rabbi fixed his eye upon him and his thigh became singed. And the, the rabbis called him the small man <laughs> of the singed thigh. Bias. In any case, I met a person who told me, you know there is a the thing that go on fire, walk on fire yeah, yeah, yeah. and not being burned? Mm -hmm. I met a couple, they told me they did it. Mm -hmm. I still don't know how, how it works, I cannot understand, but they it said works. you concentrate, mm -hmm. you concentrate and you can affect it. Mm -hmm. Could be that that's the same method that they used. Yeah. He had such self-discipline mm -hmm. that he was able to go into fire and it shouldn't affect him. Absolutely. If you can go with your feet, you can go with, uh, you can go anywhere. I didn't try it. I'm not suggesting anybody to try it. <laughs> but, but I had a couple sitting by my table that told me they did it. <laughs> I mean, 
Uh, I would uh, look for other kind type of entertainments. That's <laughs> <laughs> the true meaning of fast. <laughs> <laughs> they they break bottles and they put the pieces of glass in, in the fire, yeah, and true. this is how they walk. God bless them, but I exactly. have other things to do. In Israel, my girlfriend's son, he is a trainer. Good. He brings 20 people every Go ahead, time. we'll continue. They walk. Okay. Another teaching concerning the study of Torah. Rav Yehuda said in the name of Rav, what is, what is it that is written? Who is the wise man that can understand this? And who is it that the mouth of Hashem spoke to him and can tell it? For what did the land go lost? This matter was spoken, by, was spoken of by sages, yet they could not explain it. And it was spoken of by prophets, yet they could not explain it either, until the Holy One, blessed is he, explained it himself. As it says afterwards, And Hashem said, Because they have forsaken my Torah, which I put before them, Rav Yehuda said in the name of Rav, This means that when they studied, they did not make a blessing on the Torah first. Okay, let's stop right here. What does this mean? The, Torah, the land was lost because they have forsaken the Torah. What does this mean? That they didn't say the bracha before they learn Torah. Literally, before we learn, every morning when we get up, we say a special blessing. Just the same blessing we say when we, we called up to the Torah. Shabbat Rabbanu Mikol Ami Venatananu Etorato Baruch Hashem Baruch Hashem Noten Etorah. So every morning before you learn Torah, you have to say a blessing. Just like you have to say a blessing before you eat bread, Amotzi Lechem in Aretz. Before you enjoy the Torah, you have to say a blessing for taking God for giving us Torah. Then the Talmud said that the Rabbi Yudah says, "What does this mean that they they have forsaken the Torah?" No, I'm not talking about people who didn't observe the Torah. This is not even a discussion. Talk about people who learn Torah, but they did not say the bracha before they learned Torah. What does this mean? What lays behind it? What is to learn Torah? This is talking about people who learn Torah, scholars, but didn't say the blessing. Why not? What's the problem? It means they looked on the Torah as a very interesting, very intelligent scholarship learning. They enjoyed it. But they took out God from the Torah. We say that God, the blessing says that God gave us, recognizes that God gave us the Torah. And then God in the Torah. The Torah, whatever it makes sense, makes sense. Whatever doesn't make sense, doesn't make sense. It's a beautiful learning. They were, they were a type of atheist. Over Jewish history, even as 200 years ago, 100 years ago, people learned the Talmud without a kippah. Just enjoy the Talmud. Shabbat is to learn Talmud. People were. Eighties didn't believe in anything. They enjoyed the Torah. They learned in Shiva. They was very smart. They was brilliant. And they enjoyed it. But they took out God from the Torah. And that's a terrible thing. Because in God, when you don't understand that there is a holiness to the Torah, it's not I can do with the Torah whatever I want. It's back to the discussion we had before. We don't do with the Torah whatever we want. The Torah is rules based on the Bible. And we, and, we have, and we have tools how to understand, how to apply one thing to another. And it's the Torah of God. And when we learn it, we treat it as such. With respect, we don't say, oh, this doesn't make sense. No, 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 no. If I don't understand something, I say, I don't understand. Not that it doesn't make sense. I am short in my understanding what's going on. I have to learn more. I have to understand more. 
But if the Torah, if God said so, the Torah said so means it's coming from God, that this is it. It's not that I, when something doesn't work out for me, I change it. Here is the difference. How you treat the Torah. If it's the Torah, is the Torah of God, then this is it, and I have to change myself. I have to adjust myself to the Torah. But if I think that the Torah is, if, but if I think if I think that the Torah is, is just a wisdom, it doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. You change it. That's what means they didn't bless the they sin they blessing before. They didn't recognize that the Torah is God's Torah, God's wisdom, not human beings, not somebody with a very smart order. Continue. Ralph Hama said, "What is the meaning of that which is written?" Wisdom rests quietly in the heart of the understanding man, but amongst simpletons it makes itself known. Wisdom rests quietly in the heart of the understanding man. This refers to a Torah scholar who is the son of a Torah scholar, but amongst simpletons it makes itself known. This refers to a Torah scholar, the son of an ignoramus. It means to say a scholar, a son of a scholar, he learns it and it's normal. He got it from his parents. There's no news about it. Yeah, it's expected. A great that a scholar, his child should be a scholar. If the, pa, if the father is a doctor, well, if the son is a doctor, it's expected. But if, if a doctor comes from a family of people who never went to college, that's big news. That everybody gets excited about it. That's a scholar who is the son of an ignoramus. Go ahead. Ula said, uh, 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 no, this, said, this bears out what people say. A single cella in a pitcher makes a lot of noise. It means to say you put a coin, one coin in a, in a charity box, makes a lot of noise. If it's full of coins, you don't need anything. It means to say the same thing. If it's a house full of scholars, then it's when the child is a scholar, nobody makes a big deal about it. That's expected of them. <laughs> <laughs> if I have nothing to by the table, <laughs> you'll have nothing to talk to anybody. But in a child of a, of, of a home is not a scholarly home. He goes out to be a scholar. Oh, that's a lot of noise. There's one coin in the, in the big box. And it became a statement. This became a, almost a derogatory statement. When you want to say that somebody makes a lot of noise, you say, oh, one coin in a, in a, in a box makes a lot of noise. Don't make yourself so, so known. What is the meaning of that which is written, the small and the great are there in the grave, and the servant is free of his master? Do not we already know that the small and the great are there? God, that the verse means this, anyone who humbles himself on account of the words of Torah in this world becomes great in the next world, and anyone who sets himself as a servant on account of the words of Torah in this world becomes free in the world to come. It means to say like this, as much as you invest, that's as much as you earn. It's like a retirement fund. The more you, nothing comes by itself. There is no, doesn't fall from heaven. You walk. Now, many times you walk a little bit and you gain much more. Yeah. But it has to be somewhere. It has to be some type of a relationship. There is a story about, um, what is his name? Abuda? No. Famous scholar that all his and another scholar, a man that sinned all his life, and uh, before he died, he did shiva. What was his name? Dorina. 
Lazar ben Dodaya. Very good, thank you. So maybe the name Lazar ben Dodaya, that he was, he was uh, very big in prostitutes and things like this. And once a woman told them, you, you have no, the gates of heaven, of heaven are not open to you. You're, you're done. You're, you're doomed. For some reason, this world enters his heart. And he drove him crazy. And he cried and cried and cried and cried and cried and did shuva and died. And he died, came out a voice from heaven that said, Rabbi Elazar ben Dodaya is invited to the world to come. Interesting enough, that has to do with Rebbe. Rebbe was alive at the time. Rebbe cried and said, look what is happening here. In one hour, he entered the Olam Abba. He cried, he was done. He's walking, everybody's walking a lifetime. Eh? That's a story. Comes Kabbalah and says, what, what, is what kind of a story is this? In one hour, he gets into Olam. Olam Abba means in heaven. Heaven is like... Heaven is benefit is, the, is you benefit what you what you what you in, invested during life. The guy didn't invest in anything. Oh, what do we need going to Olam Abba? For me, the Olam Abba fell off. If you didn't build it, it's not there. If you don't have a house, if you didn't build a house, you don't have a house. If you didn't put the money in the in the saving account, there is no money there. Uh, the Kabbalah says something amazing. Elazo ben Dudaya in his past life, one life before that, he was Yohanan Kohen Gadol. Yohanan Kohen Gadol was a high priest for 80 years. Very righteous man. 80 years went in and out of the Holy of Holies. As you can imagine, was a good guy. And by the end of his life, he became a Sadducee. The Sadducees denied the belief in the world to come, an afterlife. Yes, Yohanan Kohen Gadol died. He comes to heaven. We cannot give him heaven if he doesn't believe in heaven. He has a whole apartment waiting for him. But he cannot have the key. He himself made a decision to throw the key to the world. He said, there's no heaven. Told them, ah, there is no heaven, Rabbi Yankel. Then we cannot give you heaven. You said there is no heaven, right? And he had to come back to life. A reincarnation, next, second life. And in this life, he was not doing any mitzvahs. But before he died, he did tshuva, he repented. Now we found the key to the light, to the olam abad that was waiting for him for the past life. And therefore, he was able to be invited to Olam Abba, to heaven. What this teaches us, there is must be, there is no such thing as Olam Abba comes from, from nothing. You have to invest in it. That's what you, you might bear it from best life, but you have to invest in it. And that's what he says, whatever you do in this world, that's how you get li later, after life. The Gemara continues. With a narrative that discusses Rabbi Haya's greatness. Rabbi Lakish would mark the boundaries of the rabbi's burial crypts so that the Kohanim would not inadvertently walk over them and contract Tuma when he... Contract Tuma. They, they were very busy. Rabchiev was very... Uh, Rishlokish was very busy to find, to write, you know, the, the idea of stone setting and such organized cemeteries. Yeah, I need to understand, in the, in the olden days, it was not so organized. There were caves, everybody found that he was busy making signs of the caves because a coin cannot go in, in a gravesite next to a cemetery. That he was busy to make sure, to make signs that they, that wherever there is a cave. Okay. When he reached the crypt of Rabbi Haya, it remained hidden from him. He could not locate it. He couldn't find the gravesite of Abhir. For some reason, he couldn't find it. 
Raish Lakish became disheartened. He said, Master of the Universe, have I not deliberated on the Torah like Rabbi Why then have I not merited to find the burial crypt? He says, is Abchia greater than me? Didn't I learn enough Torah like him? What's going on here? He was disheartened. He, was, he felt like, what's going on? What is wrong? Is anything wrong with me? Well, I'm less than him? A voice emanated from heaven and told him, Indeed, you have deliberated on the Torah like he, but you have not disseminate, disseminated the Torah like he. Ah, they told them. And this comes a story that we learned last week. They told them you might learn, you were teaching, you were learning Torah by yourself. You understood Torah very much like him, but you didn't teach Torah like him. You didn't make sure that other Jewish people disseminated the Torah like him. Back to the same point, it's all about teaching Torah to other people. You see, when a scholar sits in yeshiva all his life and learns Torah for himself, it's very nice and fine. Well, what the world benefits from you? What do the world has from you? God put us in the world for yourself to learn Torah. You can be in heaven and learn Torah. What do you need it to you to be born? To be born is to accomplish something, to make a difference. That the rest of the world should benefit from you. People that are less fortunate than you, if it's in Torah or in any other field in the world, we are here to accomplish, to make a difference. And that's the job of a human being. Not just a Jew, every human being. Is here, it's not enough to be, let's say, even the greatest scholar in medicine or in science, sit by himself, and he comes up with unbelievable ideas, but nobody benefits from it. And what do we have from it? No, there are some great scholars who don't know how to teach, for example, don't know how to import their knowledge. Very nice, but the world cannot benefit from you. Then he said, he told them, yeah, right. they, told, they told them from heaven, yeah, you learn Torah like Rabkhir, Ishlokish, but you didn't teach Torah like Rabkhir. And here comes the story from last week. Go ahead. The Gemara elaborates. Once Rabbi Hanina Barhama and Rabbi Hia were arguing with each other concerning some point, Rabbi Hanina said to Rabbi Hia, with me you argue? With me you argue? Very rabbinic thing to do. <laughs> Heaven forbid, the Torah were forgotten from the Jewish people. I could restore it through my deliberations. I can bring the whole Torah back to learning from it with my, with, my, with my brilliantness, with my way of teaching. You argue with me? I'm the greatest rabbi. Okay. Rabbi said back to Rabbi Hanina, with me you argue? <laughs> For I make sure that the Torah is not forgotten from the Jewish people. In the first place. He says, I, my, my dear Chochem, you make sure if the Torah will be forgotten, you will bring it back. I'm making sure the Torah shouldn't be forgotten to begin with. That's the, the achievement. Not to wait to be forgotten and then we'll, and then we'll do some hocus pocus and bring the Torah back to Judaism. We have to make sure the Jewish children learn Torah. It's not being forgotten to begin with. That's the job. What, what he did, he said, go ahead. What do I do? I go and I sow flax. Then I weave nets from the grown flax. And I trap deer with these nets. And I feed the meat to the orphans. Then I prepare scrolls of parchment with their skins. And I rate the five humashim of the Torah on these scrolls. Then I go up to the village where there are no teachers. And I teach each of the five children a different one of the five humashim. And I teach each of the six other children a different one of the six orders of the Mishnah by heart. 
Then I tell them, During the time that I return to my place and come here again, teach scripture to one another and teach Mishnah to one another. You see what's going on now? He's going from village to village in Israel. Maybe he did it also in, in, in Babylon. And he was giving a book to every child. And he told them, I'll teach you Bereshit, and then you'll teach the other kids. I'll teach you Shmot. And he made from every child a teacher. He empowered every child to become a teacher. That's what really the Rebbe accomplished. He took young boys and empowered them to go out and to teach the world. He didn't say, oh, he's such a young boy. He'll be a teacher. Every, every little boy became a teacher. And the Rebbe once spoke about that. And he said, he brought as a point, as a proof, he brought the story of Rabkhia. That Rabkhia turned every child into a teacher. And then there is six orders of the Mishnah that was written, that was by art, that was not written. He taught everyone, he says, until I'm coming next time, you teach each other. And he went to the next village, and to the third village, and to the fourth village. And what he did, and then he says, in this way I made, I make sure, finish the line. In this way I make sure. Where are we here again? The, yeah. Go for the here, here. Uh, I make sure that the Torah is never forgotten from the Jewish people. I've never forgotten to the Jewish people. We cannot wait until the kids are 20 years old. Then we send them with birthright to Israel. With alcohol spoke, we won't bring back Judaism to the children. Too little, too late. We make sure that when they preschool, and then they go to, to Jewish day school or Hebrew school, they should learn Torah then. We shouldn't have to, to send them overnight to Israel, emergency, to restore the Judaism. That's the difference in Rab and Rab If the Torah be forgotten, I'll come there, I'll take care of it. <laughs> we cannot take the risk that the Torah be forgotten and then you'll restore it. It might be too late. We have to make sure it's not forgotten to begin with. You start and they are very little. And the younger they are, the more impressionable they are. That's why it's so important, the young age. By the way, birth rate is a good idea. 15, 14, 13, 16, by 20, too late. Yeah, 20 years. He's going for 10 for 10 days. He's trying to find Not change who he is. When he's younger, that's the impression of him is much stronger. That's what we want from him. Let's finish this paragraph. The Gomorrah records a comment to this. This is what Rebbe referred to when he said, How great are the deeds of Chia. Rebbe Yishmael, the son of Rebbe Yossi, said to Rebbe, even in comparisons to the deeds of master, you? Rebbe said to him, yes. Rebbe Yishmael said, even in comparison to the deeds of my father, Rebbe Yossi? Rebbe said to him, heaven forbid, such a thing should never be said among the Jewish Basically, people. Basically, this disciple asked him, Rebbe said, how great are the deeds of Chia? He said, greater than you did? Rebbe was the leader of the Jewish people. He said, yes. He said, greater than my father? Said, no, not your father. No, 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 no. He didn't want to, ins to insult him or his father. That's what the humbleness of Rebbe. How great are the deeds of Chia? That's what it's all about. 